0: Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker,
1: musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr.
0: Karen Anderson-Abril. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril. Later in the program, we'll talk to Valerie Giglio, and hear her remarkable story. She suffered from a stroke at age 42 and yet has made a full recovery. But to start the program, I want to take a listener question. You guys have been sending me questions and giving me ideas for podcast episodes, and I thank you so much for engaging with me. Keep the emails coming. So here's today's question from a listener, Kelly. She writes, Dear Dr. Karen, my ex and I dated for almost two years. We were crazy about each other, and I really believed he was the one. Then, out of the blue, he tells me he doesn't love me anymore, and he breaks up with me. I was totally shocked, and so were my friends and my family. For the first two months of the breakup, he would call me every two weeks to see how I was doing, and then we met up over Christmas break to exchange items, and we decided to stay in more frequent contact. And now we've been texting each other about once a week... And so recently, I figured I would take advantage of the opportunity and ask him if he would like to hang out. We ended up hanging out, and things got physical. And then the very next day, he texted me and told me he might be going on a Tinder date. I was so hurt, and I really don't know what to do anymore. So in this situation, Kelly, I will admit that, like you, I was one who had a hard time letting go in breakups, and I never made a clean break. And in fact, I have an entire chapter in the book about not getting back with your ex because it's so easy to hang on and you're so comfortable with each other. And even when you know that the relationship isn't right, because it's certainly not right if he's leaving you, if he's making a choice to step away from you and not have you in his life, that's saying a lot. And again, I've been that girl who was in that position where someone was walking away from me and I was just so shocked, so like, what? We have such... Such a great relationship. We have so much good stuff here. Why are you leaving? That would be very hard for me to disentangle myself from them. And so I would do much like what you were doing, which is get back together for an afternoon and pretend you're dating again, even though you're not dating. And it just gets harder and harder and harder. And like I said in the book, I talk about this. And really, in this case, most chapters are about what things I think that I was able to do Well, when I was single, but this chapter is definitely, admittedly, something I didn't do well. And I want my readers to not make the same mistakes I did. So, here, my best advice is to do what initially is the hardest thing, but which will make things so much easier if you just do the hard thing first. And I'm actually going to read just a, a paragraph from my book. We were girl talking over dinner about our inability to get guys out of our system. My friend's mom leaned in and said, which is more painful, to cleanly sever something in one swift slice or slowly lacerate it, tearing away shred after shred with the dullest knife you can find. And my friend's mom was right. It's over, and the sooner you make the hard choice to cut him out of your life entirely, the easier it will be for you to move on and begin your recovery. And open yourself up to someone else. And one final word about these kind of on-again, off-again situations. He now has the power because he's the one who's walked away. In psychology class, oh my gosh, maybe marriage and family back in college. I remember the professor talking about the law of least interest. So the person in a relationship who is least interested in maintaining the relationship is the one who has the most power. And in this case, he's got a lot of power because he's told you that he can take you or leave you. Sure, he wants to hang out and check in with you, but what's that about really? Is that just checking in with you to make sure that you still have feelings for him so in case he doesn't find someone on Tinder, that he's got a backup plan? And do you wanna be his backup plan? I mean, there's a lot of layers to this, but power is part of it. And when you've been broken up with, you're so hurt, you're devastated, And you've lost the power. And the best way to take the power back is to start making the relationship happen on your terms. And if he doesn't want you 100% in his life as his girlfriend the way it was before, then I would suggest you don't let him have any part of you in his life. And now I'd like to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors that make this podcast possible. The Steel Forest Furniture Company, makers of handcrafted custom steel and wood furniture. Amazing tables, wine racks, fire pits, and signs. Incredible craftsmanship made right here in the U.S. in Columbus, Mississippi. Check out their website at steelforestfurniture.com or follow them on Facebook at The Steel Forest Furniture Company. Today on Love and Life, we're going to hear a story of extraordinary courage, tenacity, and sheer determination, I'm pleased to welcome Valerie Giglio, attorney, vocalist, and stroke survivor. Let me tell you a little bit more about Valerie. Valerie Giglio is a Boston-based vocalist, author, motivational speaker, and attorney. Her professional music career spans over two decades. In 2014, Valerie suffered a catastrophic stroke out of nowhere, caused by an innocuous turn of her neck. The stroke paralyzed her entire left side and confined her to a wheelchair. It also resulted in the total loss of her singing voice and musical ability at a high point of her musical career. In 2016, she published her memoir, Singing in My Own Key, a vocalist's triumph over stroke. Valerie Gillio, welcome to Love and Life. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I listened to the entire audio version of your book. So I am very well aware of your remarkable story. But let's catch the listeners up to speed with what happened to you at the tender age of 42.
2: I woke up one morning and I, I turned my neck too quickly to look at the alarm clock and I had a severe, severe stabbing pain in um in my neck on both sides. I tore both vertebral arteries, um, leading from you know my neck to my brain, and that is what caused the blood clot that made its way into my brainstem, and I had a brainstem stroke. I literally I, I mean I, I went to sleep and I woke up completely paralyzed on my left side, seeing double, uh, very, very dizzy. It was just crazy yeah and so I was uh, rushed to the hospital. They you know diagnosed me with a brain stem stroke. I spent about um, a week or two in in the hospital and then about two months in the rehab hospital. And then a year in outpatient therapy, learning, you know, how to walk again, how to use my left hand, how to do the daily activities of life. And also I had to relearn how to sing again.
0: I mean, going through this at any age would be horrific, going through this at such a tender age and at a time when your musical career was really launching and then to have not only to learn to walk again and to function and, and get the left side of your body back in usable shape and then your voice which had been your passion was gone too it, it's i mean it's just a lot
2: yes it was definitely a lot you know i my career i, I was taking shape and i I'm, I'm a lawyer so you know i was thinking of scaling back on my law practice and focusing more time to music. And I had released two CDs. I, um, a few years before the stroke, I had become a member of the Recording Academy, you know, the Grammys. And I was really excited to be in that organization too. And I, I joined ASCAP. So I was really active. And then I had done a summer program at Berkeley College of Music. And I was actually contemplating applying to Berkeley to pursue a, a music degree. I lost every singing talent that I had. And so I was reduced to just a screeching howl. That was, yeah, that's why I had to learn how to sing again, literally note by note.
0: And I was struck by that because I'm actually a vocalist musician as well. And so the the idea that you could just lose, now, some folks are tone deaf, although not that many, but the rest of us, even if you don't consider yourself a singer or a vocalist, you certainly know how to sing enough, right? Ish, right? And so the idea that when I was listening to your story that you couldn't, Carry a tune, the pitch wasn't right. I mean, that would be something that I would think, oh, you wouldn't lose any of that. I could understand the vibrato, sure. I could understand not being able to sustain the notes because, of course, your body was just so fatigued all the time. But the idea that you mm-hmm. even couldn't, you had to learn pitch again was really striking to me. So, yeah, I mean, it just really shows how profound the damage is from a stroke.
2: Well, yes. And you know, I actually, the, the, the thing that made me a little bit crazy, and I don't think I even mentioned this in my book, is that I knew exactly what the pitch was supposed to be in my brain, but I could not make my voice duplicated. Wow. So uh, yeah, that just made me, made me a little crazy there for a long time. Actually, it still haunts me <laughs> to this day, but I had to really learn everything. And my, my speaking voice was became almost like a Muppet. I mean, I just really it was very high pitched, uh, you know, like a cartoon character almost. And it was a little crazy. Yeah. So I, I just couldn't believe
0: I sounded that oh, way. Oh yeah. Well and it and it really reminds me of identity and who you are and how and, and a stroke obviously and other conditions. So many people can identify with what you went through based on what they're going through, because this is one of many ways, sadly, that people can have who they are just taken from them. Yes. And that's actually something that I really
2: want to convey. I just want people to know that you do lose who you are. And, you know, I lost my entire identity. I mean, I was a singer. I was a lawyer. I had a wonderful life, happy life, uh, great traveling, doing all these different things, making CDs. And then in one second, I had nothing. You know, the important thing that that I stress is that, you know, never to give up, never to lose hope. Because hope was the thing that really got me through that. Because I kept saying to myself, you know, obviously, I went back and forth between feeling sorry for myself and feeling that I could, you know, conquer this. And then after a while, you know, I really started to really have a lot more hope all the time. And I really um, can't stress enough the importance of that. Because, uh, you know, the mental mental state and and motivation and, and just really going for it. It can make such a difference.
0: Well, that's definitely one of the themes I picked up on and I thought would be so important to share with my listeners, because as we're talking about the stroke, and like we said a minute ago, it's not just about this particular condition. There are many challenges that life throws at us that are curveballs that we can't even begin to anticipate. And yet we can't control what happens to us, but we can control the way we respond to it. And, and so you were very, very candid and, and about the fluctuations in your mood and your despair at times. But one of the themes that kept emerging was that, and it's very consistent with the theme of my podcast, one of the themes is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life, And you were really clear. You said, it was so easy to revert to despair. Negative thoughts were always ready to take over my mind. And I thought, that's so many people in so many realms of life, no matter what obstacles they're facing.
2: It's so easy to fall into a trap and to go down a rabbit hole, really, so to speak, and you just get really discouraged. It's important for people that are going through any kind of traumatic event just to fight that as much as possible, because that's no good for anybody. That's not going to help recovery. That's just going to make you feel sorry for yourself. And then you're never going to get back anything that you enjoy
0: doing. Another thing that you talk about Mm -hmm. in the book that makes perfect sense was just that struggle of, you said for a while, you didn't even want to think about anything spiritual, because in a way you thought, why did God let this happen to me? And then later, as you were at the end of your recovery, and back in Italy, you found that you found some comfort then in thinking in a spiritual manner. And I'm just curious what what that was like for you, that whole process.
2: Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a very religious person. That's been my upbringing my entire life. So I know that I, I broke both my arteries in my neck by turning my neck. But why did I do it from turning my neck? So there's, there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it. So that's always in my mind. And I'm thinking, well, what if God was so upset with me? You think about so many different things like that. And I know that a lot of people were praying for me, and I was so, so grateful. And then I I just couldn't really do anything while I was in the hospital. I really kind of shut off the spiritual part of me at first, at the very beginning. But then afterwards, I realized that I was here for a reason. And then I was able to get back
0: into my spirituality
2: because that was a part of who I was.
0: You talked about how your motivation for writing the book was because as you were recovering, you did look to stories of others who had recovered. And that was so inspiring for you. And you essentially wanted to share for anyone else who might be struggling that your remarkable story is available to them as inspiration.
2: Yes. You know, I wanted people to know. I, like, I wrote this book because I wanted people to know that strokes happen to young people. And that it's not just an old person. You know, people have this common misconception that a stroke maybe only happens to like an 80-year-old person or somebody that's, you know, sick. Never to happen to a young, healthy person out of the blue. But unfortunately, it does. And I also wanted to show people that because you have a stroke, it doesn't mean that you're mentally incapable. And so that was very, very important to me. And I wanted to show people what really happens.
1: Hi, this is Bruni Getchell, life coach and clinical hypnotherapist from Boston,
0: Massachusetts, and I listen to Dr. Karen's podcast, Love and Life. Another part of the book that I thought was just this tiny little vignette that seemed very powerful was the, the nurse who I believe, took your vitals one night, and her name was Patience? Yes, her name was Patience. I couldn't believe it because I needed so much patience.
2: She was very religious, and I remember her speaking to me. Well, she seemed to be very religious, and she, she was like, you know, you need so much patience. You know, it's, it's God's going to, you know, God's looking out for you. Or she was very, very authoritative in that and very confident. It was another piece that had given me some more hope. And I needed patience so badly at that time.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because when I was younger, I would have thought a lot of those circumstances were coincidences. But the older I get, sometimes I think, hmm, maybe that was God just placing that that one nurse as in your life for that moment as kind of a sign that this is what you needed and hang in there. Yep. <laughs> You know, yes, yeah. definitely
2: because that was at the very beginning, at the outset. Um, I believe I was either in intensive care or, or a regular hospital room, but in any event I was in the hospital, that was the very beginning because the way my personality is, I was expecting to be completely cured, you know, the next day. Like I don't have any patients. I, I have negative patients. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and on that note, uh, you also talked about your personality. You, you even mentioned in the book that there was a sense that looking back, in a way, every quality that you'd already developed as a human being and as an individual, from your drive as an attorney and and your drive to to learn music and become a vocalist and to just delve into the music community, that so much of you as a person had prepared you for this battle, for this this struggle. Yes,
2: strange as it sounds, I believe that that's true. I mean, I had grown up my entire life had I not done the things that I had done, I wouldn't have had such a, an amazing recovery. I mean, I was a dancer for so many years. That instilled a lot of discipline and a lot of things that I would need to do as far as balance. Um, I used I used things that I had learned from my many many years of dance training to help me learn to walk again, playing a musical instruments, you know, my whole life had just really exercised my brain. There were so many different things, so many pieces of it that really came together, you know, as far as stroke recovery. And had I not had those pieces in place, maybe my recovery would have been different. I I, I will never know that.
0: But that perspective to me is empowering. It's a perspective like we were talking about earlier of hope and remaining optimistic in the face of Tremendous adversity and to look at, hey, all that hard work I did, that discipline, that grit I developed, it paid off in ways I could have never anticipated, but were so profoundly impactful. So I love that perspective because really we can't control what happens to us or so many things in this life, but we can control our mindset and our perspective on how we handle and respond to the tragedies that occur to us and then how we make sense of them. Our brains are very much primed to make sense. Cognitive psychology, we talk about that, that we don't want random events that that we can't pull together logically. So it's normal for us to try to make sense, but it's also a way that we can take the power back from something that was undesirable or horrific. Absolutely.
2: And you know, the the thing that this reminds me of is um, when I was learning how to sing again, my voice was really bad. I mean, obviously it was was non-existent. And then as soon as I started to take lessons, I remember, you know, I I had one note at that time. And my friend, uh, Grammy Award winning um, composer, Laura Sullivan, she was coming out with a new video. It was called 900 Voices. And she wanted me to be a part of it. She had started this like maybe about a few weeks before the stroke. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm never going to be able to do that. I guess that's out the window. Well, she actually called me one day and she said, you know, would you like to be in this 900 Voices? And I couldn't believe it that she wanted me to be in it because I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I am still a singer. And if I really am made to feel like a singer, then maybe I, I can be that again.
0: Another point I wanted to bring up was Mm -hmm. about neuroplasticity, which I thought was a a really powerful way for you to equip yourself with knowledge that could give you that hope.
2: Yeah, my my neurologist told me about neuroplasticity and my support groups, we talk about that a lot. And as far as doing things to get your brain back, bouncing back, you know, get, getting those connections, making those connections again. You know, I played games. I played a lot of logical games. I did a lot of thinking. I never sat in front of the TV and just vegged out. You know, I always had to be doing something to remain active. And between le- relearning how to sing, actually, I believe that that helped me as far as, you know, get my get my body back. I think they, they're all related because I was busy relearning. And so as long as I kept my brain relearning, you know, everything was was getting better.
0: Yeah, that was something that you were definitely availing yourself of that information and using it as a way to inspire yourself to know, hey, I don't have to see my brain as being so rigid that it can't repair and and these neural connections can't be made to repair themselves. Because I think sometimes we do, we think of neural development and the average person doesn't have the research available to them. And so we think, okay, well, once you get to be a certain age, your brain is mature. And if you damage a portion of it, forget it. And actually, the most recent research is showing that's not true at all. In fact, it's much more able to rejuvenate and regenerate than we've ever believed.
2: Wow. And you know, I, I started to tell myself something and I laugh now because I think like, I know that it's, I have no idea. I just made it up really. Cause I, you watch the movies and stuff and they say, Oh, we have a lot of these, we have so many brain cells, you know? And I said to myself, Oh, well, what if I have a, a gazillion brain cells and I just need to tap into those brain cells? And, you know, just thinking that just made me, you know, so much more excited, motivated to really go for that, even if it's it's not true or whatever it may be. But for me thinking it, you know,
0: it felt good. And we know that it makes a difference. I mean, the whole placebo effect has been demonstrated in multiple research studies. So we know that when we think something's going on with our body, oftentimes your body goes, okay. <laughs> and Absolutely. You know, people take a sugar pill and they think it's an antidepressant and all of a sudden there's Whistling Dixie, you know, <laughs> and it's, they're taking sugar. <laughs> so the placebo effect like we said it's been it's been shown to be effective many 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 times over so the state of mind is a powerful thing i loved that quote hi this is kate from chicago the dating scene can be
2: tough and when i need a little encouragement i turn on dr karen's love and life to get a reminder that staying true to myself is the most important thing
0: A theme that also that echoed throughout the book was gratitude. You were so thoughtful in your approach to being grateful throughout, even in the midst of something that how could you find a shred of gratitude for having endured a stroke at age 42. But I really saw that theme in every chapter you found something to be grateful for. You looked, you know, whether it was in the support group and and someone else had it worse than you and recognizing that there was always something you could be thankful for, all the wonderful care you received from your occupational to vocal coaches to physical therapists, you were so, so full of gratitude. And I, I would submit that that absolutely had to help your healing process as well.
2: Oh, definitely. It's so easy to say, oh, you know, woe is me. But the, the bottom line is I got my swallow back after a few days. Some people don't get their swallow back or uh, forever. And I learned to walk again. So I, I was doing things that I knew I, I was so grateful for. Could be a lot worse. I could have been locked in. You know, there's something called locked in syndrome that people that have my type of stroke sometimes get. It's really a very tragic. I mean, they cannot move any part of their body except their eyelids. So they can't communicate. They have to communicate through a board, usually, you know, they, they blink their eyes or, or whatnot. And I'm so grateful that I didn't have
0: that. Yeah. And and again, that's where your response makes all the difference. One of the reasons I wanted you to come on the, the show, because that perspective, I mean, it's, it's the, the difference between deciding, okay, I guess I've been victimized, and I'm going to stay in that space, or I'm going to fight, fight, fight. And you were such a fighter. It was just so inspiring.
2: Thank you so, so much. Well, it's, an, it's, you're really, it's such an honor to be here. And if I can tell your listeners anything, it's just please to keep yeah. fighting. Don't ever let those thoughts take control because if you do, then you're done. You know, you might as well forget about it then. I mean, you just really have to really not let those thoughts overwhelm
0: you. I love it. That's exactly what this whole show is all about. And on that note, please let listeners know where to find you, where they can get the book, where they can get the audio book, if you like to hear it in your own voice, because of course, that's something that's so powerful. I, I know you mentioned in the book, and I did like that I was listening to your voice, because you gave an example of how you were sounding for a time because your speech had been affected. And it's, you said you sounded like you had marbles in your mouth. And, and so to hear your voice coming in strong and clear, that was, again, so inspiring. Thank you. Yes,
2: it's available on audible.com, the audiobook. And the actual the print book uh, and the ebook is available on Amazon.com and through my website, which is valeriegilio.com, and through BarnesandNoble.com. And how
0: about some social media?
2: You're on Twitter and Insta and
0: Yes, I'm
2: on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and it's really simple. It's just Valerie Gilio,
0: and it's G-I-G-L-I-O. Just to make sure everyone has the spelling correct. Well, Valerie, thanks again for coming on the program. I really enjoyed our conversation. I just find your entire story so uplifting and so inspiring. I know it's going to really resonate with my listeners. So thanks so much.
2: Thank you, Dr. Karen. Really, it's an honor. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Great. So the love and life hack for this week is, as Valerie put it, your state of mind is a powerful thing. I leave you today with an audio clip of Valerie singing a year and a half after her stroke. So inspiring. Thanks for joining me today and for subscribing to the show wherever you listen to podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Comments and reviews are always greatly appreciated. Thanks to my producer, Michelle Musso, my communications manager, Chip Gregory, and my booking assistant, Christine Infanger. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson Abril. Thanks so much for listening and till next time. Make it a great week.
1: That your eyes once promised. I see in his too. Now you're With this disaster became me It named me as the fool Who only aimed to be Sure.